Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel and recommend the 10 comics you should be picking up this new comic book day. I'm your host, Alice. I'm Alexis. And I forgot I was supposed to pick comics for this week. God damn it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, hi. I forgot to pick comics for this week. Saga volumes one through nine. There's the there ten. Go. Dallas can fill in one. For today's episode, we are already off to a great start, everyone. We're recording late on a Tuesday because of some gastrointestinal distress. What? And <laughs> do not do not sprinkle that around the internet. I don't need that. You already sprinkled enough around your house. Oh Oh my my hell, shut up. (laughs) But for today's episode, we are going to be talking about Saga Volumes 4 through 6, or Book 2 of Saga, the middle third of what's been released. Uh, Yep, I'm showing my co-hosts. I bought Saga again in a different version because I have have no self-control. Because I don't pay for anything to be on this podcast. And I have Hoopla. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and one of us is financially responsible. Not me. Oh, is that what that is? No, I'm irresponsible. That's why I have to use Hoopla. <laughs> Love it. So if you're unaware, if you're a new listener, this is going to be a part two of a three-part conversation about Saga. Last month, we released Saga Book One. It was like an hour and a half long conversation. Really, it was the gateway drug into these new long-ass episodes I have oh. to edit. We used to have a tight 50 minutes, and now we're crocking in like an hour and 40 every week. And I'm like, oh, good. We doubled my work. Good. In my big mouth. Word. Word. <laughs> so true. But yeah, it's saga time. Um, before we get into all that, what's up with you two? I feel like we haven't talked in a million years. <laughs> what happens when you throw off our weekly schedule? I'm. Sorry, I okay. You want to know what it was? I know what it was. So yes. I came home. Well, I came to Carson's house uh-huh. on Saturday after work, and I was like, "Ooh, Domino's pizza." Okay. Yeah, on the table. Do it. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm getting there. It's worse. Um, I was like, "Oh, it's cold." Okay, they ate a while ago. I get off work at 9:30. I understand. So I ate a few pieces, and I was like, "This is fine." And then his older brother comes around the corner and is like, "Did you just eat that pizza?" And I was like yes why he's like i'm almost 100 percent sure that that pizza box has been sitting on that counter for at least four to five days and we have just left it and i was like i'm gonna die right here and then instacare sunday morning (laughs) yep it's like men throw the whole throw the whole race away man garbage I almost said I'm going to lose my shit, but, like, no, that's that's too soon. <laughs> I've got a men's story for you. Once upon a time, there was some chicken that had gone green in my fridge, and we were out of money, and so we're like, no, cook away the Shrek chicken, no. baby. And we cooked it up and did not get sick. It tasted horrible. It tasted like rotten chicken, but we did not get sick because we oh. was poor. College right there. Fuck. <laughs> I'm having an existential crisis. Yo, it was bad. I pulled it out and I was like, oh, this is bad. Um, Let's go. But it's either this or starvation. So oh. come here, Shrek meat. 
say a quick prayer and uh, eat the chicken. No. I've been, um, I haven't been getting sick. I've been, wait, no, I'm pretty sick. I'm watching a CW show. I'm pretty sick. I've Word. I was going to say, who's watching Smallville? Small, who's watching Smallville? You're the sickest of us all. I just got to the Lex and Lana wedding, which isn't a sentence I ever thought I would say in my life. <laughs> and just, I keep posting this picture of baby Lex crying and saying loser. And that's about it. Lex is a loser. I hate him. <laughs> friendship with Lex Luthor ended you heard it here folks and takes a strong stance against beloved friendly character Lex <laughs> Luthor I got nothing to say about him nothing nice oh jeez. um what's new with me I basically I think I'm breaking up with Twitter I have been on there, like, less and less as the weeks have gone by, and I've been happier and happier. And I'll still pop in because I have no real self-control, and I'll uh-huh. want mm-hmm. attention, you know? And Word. Word. Definitely have an addictive personality. And I'm very much looking forward to October and Spooky Month. It's very fun. Very exciting. I almost forgot the story I recommended. That's how excited I am about it. Love that for you. Uh, But it's not spooky season yet. Last week, before people that don't like horror need to check out, we are talking. Two hours in instead of two weeks. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Your two hour notice. You'll come back in November. Yep. Birth month. (laughs) The most important one. Love that. Alexis gets all four picks in November. I don't have that many. <laughs> Lots of Spider-Man. Lots of Spider-Man happened. I'll just point out that for my birthday, I made Alexis read the whole Stanley Spider-Man run and watch all the st- all the Sam oh, Raimi Spider-Man films. Why? And didn't like movies. Oh. The movies were good. Pretty good. I love the whole thing, yeah. but <laughs> so she definitely gets to punish me for her birthday. That's where all of my podcast. trauma comes from. Right. Dallas's birthday. I love that Dallas is just like, well, I had fun. I, I don't know what fun. anyone else did, but I Happy had birthday to you. It was a good birthday for me. Read a hundred 1960s Spider-Man issues and watched a bunch of movies from my childhood. And I'm sure they've all aged perfectly, like a fine wine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to... Maybe I'm just thinking with rose-colored glasses, but I feel like Spider-Man aged a little bit better than Fantastic Four. It's because there's no woman. I was going to say, it's because they didn't bother to put women in Spider-Man other than love interests. But the I've gotten to the part of Fantastic Four where they need to like say something pejorative to sue every issue. And it really like pulled the brakes on my enjoyment. Oh my gosh. I was like, I was having a real good time. And then all of a sudden I read like three issues in a row where it's like, Sue, you're useless, but hot. And that's okay. I was like, like, Lord, give me strength. I want that to be my life. And so I switched to Walt (laughs) Simonson Thor, where the role of women is to be dummy hot and trick men for being stupid. And I was like, this is this is this is reparations. This is women (laughs) weaponizing their hotness every arc. It's the it's the Marauders scene where Emma's just flashing her tits at everyone because that's what she does. <laughs> it is, but that's the whole series. It's okay. just various women being like, wow, Boop. 
look at how hot. I literally just read a thing <laughs> where Balder the Brave was like captured by three hot ladies that basically used him as a sex slave until Thor <laughs> came to save him. And Balder, and then Balder was like, it wasn't that bad. And then they like removed the enchantment from the old from the women, and then they turn into old hags. And he's like, I have been violated. <laughs> and we must save the day. And I was like, I love you, 1980s comics. Never change. <laughs> Boom, bam. That's how you fix that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And it was somehow less bad than Brian Michael Bendis's treatment of women in New Avengers. <laughs> and that's, oh, all I, that's all I've got to say about that. We already have enough trauma to deal with today without getting to any of that. <laughs> No, I we feel like do. I could traumatize Dallas in one sentence and tell him what I want to read, and he'd probably quit the podcast right now. Oh, my God. What is it? <gasps> Shut up. No, yes! it's not good. <laughs> it is not good. That book is not good. For those listening at home, it's The Wicked and the Divine. Yeah, the best so. soap opera title ever. I love both those creators, and I don't like that book. <laughs> that We've been there. We've all been there. We've had that. We've had those books. This just, isn't mine, but we've had those books. I just feel like I'm not 17 enough to like that book. Oh my god! Bap, bap. All right. So anyway, moving on to my favorite image comic that no one is allowed to criticize or I'll cry. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the truth. Okay. How our whole life growing up was. Dallas is right, or he'll cry. Oh well, Dallas. What what you gotta say? Wait, you made us suffer through this. I, I don't know. I disagree with that comment. But did you like it? What did everyone think? I'll I give a synopsis saga. in a minute. Alexis loves saga. I loved it, but I'm emotionally devastated. I'm still not over it. This it is a, a tough. This is a tough bit. This mm-hmm. is like they definitely gut you a little bit in this middle third. Um. So for anyone that hasn't read along at home, there are going to be spoilers. Obviously, if you're along for that ride, great. I will be more judicious about spoilers in the third volume because I miraculously didn't have issue 54 spoiled for me, even though I read it like two years after it came out. Um, Like the very last one? The very last issue. I somehow hadn't had it spoiled. And so I very much don't want it to be spoiled for anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, But this middle portion, like, eh, fuck you. It's been out since 2013. (laughs) We'll spoil it all we want. Did you just look? I literally said, don't look. I literally said, don't look. I just opened the back. Why would you do that? That's that's what looking is. That's what looking at the last page. That's what looking is. Why would you look at it? I didn't know. I just looked at it. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. I saw that coming. No, you didn't. Bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, I did. All right, oh, well, that's, that's also exciting. I'm going to put this book down now. Yeah, freaking A. That's for <laughs> November. Dumbledore. She just saw Snape kill Dumbledore, 100%. <laughs> I swear. Oh. <laughs> um, so, quick synopsis for anybody that isn't aware. Volumes 4, 5, and 6 of Saga follow you. Follow you. Nice. Follow the... Splitting up of Marco and Alana, the, their time apart, and they're coming back together and eventually bringing Hazel back. 
So there's like a big diaspora in this book and then a gathering back together for the final third. And so as you would expect from that, it becomes quite emotionally fraught. There's a lot of shit that happens. And I feel like Saga was pitched as the anti-honeymoon book. Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, they said most stories culminate with the couple getting together and maybe even having a cute baby. And that's how they win. And they wanted to write the story about how hard it is to maintain that after the happy ending. And I feel like this set of volumes is the ones that really dive into how being a newlywed and being a, a new parent and just being a human being can be really hard. Mm-hmm. And so, like, while I think these volumes are great, they're definitely my least favorite to revisit, you know? Like, every time I read them, I'm like, oh, yeah, my friends are having a rough go. Just a little dour. And I I famously have never liked the middle part of movies where everything goes bad before it gets good again. That second act turn. I don't like it. I never have. I want there to be no conflict, which I realize isn't a good way for there to be story. <laughs> like season two of Ted Lasso, while it's been great, I've been like, everything's kind of shitty because this is the middle part of a three act structure and I hate it. And that's what this book of saga is. But I've been talking for a while. I want you two to talk a little bit about this book. That's, it's hard because like you said, that second act you need for that conflict to continue, you need things to fall apart. And this is very much shit falls apart. And it's, it's, it's hard because there's so much that happens in every single issue. Like it's crazy comparing this to like a lot of the, you know, like the Cape shit I read. Don't bring her up. We'll get to it. <laughs> um, it's because there's just so much ground that gets covered in one issue of this compared to a lot of like superhero comics, I think, because we're never in the same place we start. And it's insane. Yeah. I love yeah. Dying Cat. Dallas is just showing you a bunch of the beautiful one page splashes in here. And we get so many of those, too. Like, I remember picking up volume four, and the first thing we see is the the princess robot, or whatever her name is, giving birth. It, that, that, that was something to walk in on. Yeah, that was, um, <laughs> it literally feels like you walked in on it. You, like, almost closed the book for a second. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. I should have knocked first. <laughs> I'll come back later. But <laughs> True. it's, I need, <laughs> I I read this about a month ago, and I still feel like I need time. I still feel like I need the time to process everything that I just saw. It's... Yeah. Where do I even start? I weirdly feel like this volume, this book gets more crass, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, there's a lot more like, oh, whoa, they did that? Yeah, especially the one scene, which I oh. know we will talk about, I'm sure. We'll get but... there. The best scene. Um, I agree with you, though. This definitely seems like the let's start pulling on the little threads that were planted, right? Like, book one definitely sets up that Marco and Alana aren't a perfectly happy couple. They're a couple that is choosing to be together and work at things, Mm -hmm. which I've always really loved and related to. I feel like I love my wife a great deal. It would be a lie to say that we never fight. We never have conflict. We haven't had to work at things. You know what I mean? 
And I feel like Saga is a book that really puts that on display. And the these volumes have a way of never making Alana and Marco's disagreements feel too big and conflated. But the story is so wild that the end results of pretty normal fights end up being way bigger than you would expect, right? right? Like their big fight out in front of the treehouse about at the end of volume four mm -hmm. seems like a pretty real fight. It's not like, oh my gosh, this right. is nuts. But then because of Dango Unchained, who we'll get to, <laughs> volume five sets off in a crazy place that you would not expect having started mm -hmm. at issue one. Right. And it's one of those things, I think I brought it up last time. It's just, it's a very real story. It's a very human story. It's a very relatable and realistic story, just in an unrealistic and fantastic place. Because you have, you know, <laughs> different planets, galaxies, dragons, and all that fun stuff. But it's just a story about two people in a very realistic depicted relationship. It's just, they're having normal problems in the midst of a world that, like, is so hard to wrap your mind around. And where anything is possible. It's the the perfect fusion between those two things. I definitely feel like the imagination of the series got kicked into mm -hmm. high gear during these books, too. Like, character designs went through the roof. Yeah. Just, like, I, it feels like they really hit their flow, you know? I'm always just, the character designs especially, I'm always just floored. I remember um, they're just, like, throwaway characters that show up for, like, two pages, but the, like... Fahrenheit 451 looking guards. That are yes, the constables. Yeah, they were so cool. And they're just around for like five seconds and then they're gone. And it's just like, it, it feels like a throwaway. It feels like this is such a good design for us to only see once, but that's just, it happens over and over again. This And what's, um, you showed the picture of her just a second ago. The the woman that was really into Marco. What was her oh, name? Oh, Gwendolyn. No, no. Ginny, yeah. Ginny, yep. I love, I like her. I liked her whole um vampire bat thing going on. That was really cool. <laughs> I love when Hazel called her ugly. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Hazel says like, what's on. Her, Hazel says what's on her mind a lot. I lost my shit at you're an Audi. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but that I... is also something we could talk about later. <laughs> um. I think my favorite Hazel moment was the breakfast screech. I was like, what yep. a mood, baby <laughs> Hazel. Was... Just like the rage in the little body screeching for food. I was like, I feel that. I feel that little one. My little sweet. Um, so maybe Dallas creating structure out of chaos on the fly here. Do we want to talk briefly about each volume and then kind of dive into characters? Yes. Sure. All right. So... Volume four, we basically, we open on Hazel, Marco, and Alana have settled down in suburbia, and there is some marital strife because of normal-ass things. Alana has a job on as an actress for a theater troupe called The Open Circuit. Marco is the stay-at-home entity. And Hazel becomes a character for the first time in these volumes where she's no longer just a lumpy potato sack, but she is a screeching potato sack. <laughs> and the major conflicts arise where Marco, feeling neglected, 
begins to turn towards Hazel's dance dance teacher Ginny mm-hmm. for an emotional affair, and Alana turns feeling pulled down and weighed down by the responsibility of her job, turns to drug use. And that lights the fuse of the bomb at the end of this volume, which is teased on the last page of issue one that Marco and Alana split up at the end of this volume. Literally. Depressing. Literally, yeah. Yeah, literally. See, I remember, I <laughs> I think that was the moment where it's like, I read that line where Hazel's like, this is the story about how my parents split up, and I'm pretty sure I threw the book down. You texted, <laughs> I said, you texted, texted us! You like, yeah. <laughs> What is this bullshit? Yeah. Um <laughs> I was so done at that point because this everything, the first three volumes I'd read before, everything from here on out was new to me. I was I was done with it immediately at that point. I'm like, this is too much right now. I can't deal with this. Dragon sucking its own dick any day of the week. These two splitting up, absolutely not. No no thank you. Absolutely not. Never. <laughs> not in a million years. Um, before I turn it over to Alexia, I also want to add the sort of backplot of this. So every saga volume has three major plots going on, right? So that was the Marco and Alana plot. We then have the Dango plot, who Dango is one of my personal favorite characters, honestly. I love Dango Unchained. Uh, he is a gentleman of the robot kingdom who lost his child and decided to go sicko mode because of that, basically. Yes. Anne raised her hand. <laughs> I was gonna we say, should start what part of that, that was gentle? <laughs> Where's the gentleman part of Dango? He is never gentle once he in his whole time. When he shows up with the baby slashed across his chest, holding the spine with the head still attached, Killing. <laughs> I was like, Michael Myers whomst? I Michael Myers could never. Could never. I love that we just got a slasher villain in this little <laughs> couplet of volumes four and five. I was like, oh, damn. The robot is a murder robot. Word. W- rock and roll. Perfect. And I was endlessly compelled with his quest to be heard because I was like, I'm not going to lie, Dingo. You had me in the first half, and then you committed yeah. so much Homicide. <laughs> so much homicide. Um, and then we have definitely more of like a backup backup story is Sophie and Gwendolyn beginning their quest for ye oldie dragon semen that will cure the will of his ailments. <laughs> and that that culminates in volume yeah, five, right? Yes, it does. It yeah. comes to a head. Ah! Ah! Be gone. <laughs> I'm sorry. Disgusting. Dis- the trauma through laughter. Disgusting. Um. So what do we what do we think of those storylines? Those arcs. Lex, do you have feelings about Marco and Alana and the decisions they make? Oh, I was so well because I mean we definitely see. I thought it was interesting to watch. Alana's trip to say the least in the beginning of her like trying to cope with everything that she's having to do because I mean we get to see both sides of where they're coming from 
Like, obviously, Marco's with the baby all day. He's stressed. Like, he doesn't want to do what he's doing. Alana doesn't want to do what she's doing. Like, they're just not having a good time. And they're not talking to each other about it. They're brushing it under the rug and ignoring it and coping in their own ways. And I think Alana's is the most... I don't want to say, like, interesting to me, but, like, I I feel like it has a lot of depth that people might miss. I don't know. But, um, like, it's just, it's just crazy how both of them kind of bring out the worst in each other at that moment when they have their big explosive fight. And they both have reasons to hate themselves without realizing what they're doing to each other, if that makes sense. Like, they hate what they did to each other but they did it anyway. So I don't know. I just think it was kind of a cool, like rise and fall situation, like to see the build up to where it just exploded. And then she kicked him out of the tree. So. <laughs> Damn fellas, your girl ever kicked you out of the tree house yep. for throwing some vegetables. <laughs> True. How about you, Anne? What did you think of the conflict? Oh, you're muted. Sorry, I was gonna say I think it was it was heartbreaking because it felt real. It's just like the thing where it's like you see where you see the moment where both of them just kind of fall apart and you see the paths are going down. You're like just just talk about it, just figure this out because you're both going through some shit. You know, make sure the other one knows, but then they don't, and then eventually it reaches that explosive point, and then you're just like just sitting there in tears texting your friends on the couch making you wonder why you read this <laughs> and it's it leads to a very interesting point for marco which i thought was really cool because he was the first one who like stopped because they were both going down their separate paths and he was the first one who's like okay i this is this is enough i need to go back i need to fix this especially considering it was his violent action that led to her kicking him out I appreciated that he had that moment of character growth, but also it was very fitting in that little bit of um, <laughs> plot irony that it was already too late, you know, because by mm -hmm. the time he gets back, the ship is gone. Yeah. Um, what do you think of Marco's affair? I honestly, I thought it was, <laughs> Lexi's just shaking her head. <laughs> just no, just no. I know. Nice. I understand sweet. it, but it's yucky. Exactly. She's sweet girl, but no thank you. I felt so proud of my boy when he did not consummate it. You know what I mean? I was like, because there comes a point and I was like, I don't blame Ginny for this. She, to our understanding in this volume, she has an open relationship with her partner right she's like we both trust each other to be adults and i mean it's not her fault that marco's coming on to her you know what i mean and i i was just proud of him for basically kind of like Anset. Like he pulled himself out of the nosedive basically he was like oh this isn't who i am this isn't how i want to be and i thought that was a really real portrayal of coping mechanisms right. we definitely see Marco has a way with the ladies, you know? I Hazel tells us yeah. that, right? Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to see 
the the male lead using that for evil, but then realizing that it was evil. Because like peek behind the curtain here, this might be too personal, but for a very long time, like anytime I felt bad about myself, I was like, time to go date a pretty lady. That means nothing to me because that'll make me feel good about myself. You know what I mean? And like looking back on that, a huge turning point in my life was realizing that like that was a very unkind way to live. Right. And so it was cool. Again, my one of my favorite characters in fiction. It was really cool to see Marco sort of go through that same journey of realizing, oh, I'm being a piece of shit that's like using somebody to to make myself feel better without any real thought of the people around me. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. It's a very realistic look at like coping mechanisms, <clears throat> sorry, coping mechanisms, especially Alana's drug usage. Because like you said, mm-hmm. it's because of the overwhelming responsibility that she feels. Wow. It's also just interesting, Alana being the free spirit character, having to be the one that goes to work and gets the job. I feel like both of them get the worst role possible for the two of them. Right. And, like, that's also a real part of life where, like, you don't always just immediately have the ideal situation at any given time, you know? You don't always get what you want. And I I still, I think, ugh, I keep thinking back to that scene where Alana takes the drugs for the first time and she just sits there for a second. And the first thing she says is pouch. And then the next thing she knows is she's literally inside, like, a, inside the womb and just, like, sucking her thumb. And it's like, yes, that is the exact opposite responsibility. That is where I would want to be, too. And that was just, that hit really hard. I thought that was such a great scene. Yeah. Um, Beautifully rendered as well. Like, Fiona Staples levels up every volume. But I feel like there's a noticeable level up in the artwork of this book. This set of volumes that we read. Where just so, too. Like, kind of like we said at the beginning, the, I feel like the character designs get wonkier and crazier, but also more detailed and fun. I feel like it really feels like this creative team hit their stride. And so while this story is the hardest to read, it's some of the most fun to read, if that makes sense. Um, do you have any other thoughts on Marco and Alana, Alexis, or should we talk a little bit about dango and prince robot and all that jazz let's talk about that because i feel like that for me was like the craziest few pages ever all right go for it just like well so we kind of talked about dango and how he's crazy and also dallas is in love with him for some reason i didn't say i was in love with him (laughs) i just think he's a compelling character i like a slasher and a baby snatcher that is what he is Dallas is blushing right now, so just yeah. take that as you will. That's because I'm looking at the page of the will and the stock upside down in the webs. Ah, okay, fair enough. Ah. Okay, well, anyway, basically, a little backstory. Dango is um, uh, one of the computer robot men, and he has been working in the castle for years. He's been waiting on the royal family, so Prince Robot... Etc. His wife, Princess Robot, and we get pushed into this scene where he comes. Okay, Dallas is showing the horrific picture of him holding a decapitated head attached to a spine, which is really cute. I just think it's neat. With a little baby attached to his freaking chest. And a cartoon character on his screen. 
Yep. I was gonna say, that's the best part about that image is just the black and white caterpillar smiling and waving in front of his face. <laughs> I personally like the feathers down here with the carnage. Yeah. Uh-huh. 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 Dallas needs to go to therapy. Anyway. But, no, so we get this character and he basically brutally murders Prince Robot's wife, abducts his child, and goes on this, I'm gonna be heard, everyone needs to listen to me, adventure, basically. He's like, I'm gonna go broadcast my feelings to the entire world. Goodbye. And dips. You know what's super interesting, though? Like, just flipping through this, every there's all sorts of, like, visual mirroring between Dango and Prince Robot. Where, like, they both are coming in guns a-blazing, like, every time they show up. They are blowing up. They are eviscerating people. It seems like neither of them has much respect for life beyond their own and their own needs. But I think we're harder on Dango because he's the antagonist to our little family. And so while Prince Robot, he blows the crap out of Mama's son on Sextillion for no real reason. But, like, we don't like her. And so it's okay that... He also is a murdering sociopath. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't think but about that. There's a really interesting parallelism between the two the two robots in this set. Just don't steal babies, damn it. That's where we draw the line. Yeah, but <clears throat> that's why we like Prince Robot. He didn't steal any babies. Not a single that's baby Noah. was stolen. I yeah. I mean, really, the guy was just chilling on Sextillion for quite a while, so. Like months. <laughs> just just a bottomless credit card on Sextillion. Terrifying. Yeah, that was one of the, um, the sight gags that I didn't notice until you pointed out, and that he's getting a blowjob from a literal beaver. He's getting, <laughs> getting beaver, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Can we also talk about the fact that, that King robot is a literal flat screen tv yes. that made me oh laugh so hard and when he says and like my deepest down. condolences and it's just like the niagara falls coming down on his face that oh, was some of like some of my favorite little bits in here my favorite little gags are just the visual imagery they put on the robot's faces i think that was so clever i i love the robots i think they're one of the most compelling bits of the story and I think the reason I like Dango is because he brings up some really interesting commentary about the real world, you know? Um, the big difference between Dango and Prince Robot is that Prince Robot, being royalty, has a colored screen where Dango does not. And there's a very clear divide between the treatment of robots with colored screens and those not. And I'm, I don't feel like I have to go much further than that for you to get the point, dear listener. Yeah. <laughs> um but I think there's an interesting conversation sort of bridging the gap into volume five, if you will, when Dango realizes that some of the radical groups that he has become affiliated with don't care about him very much beyond using him as a token. And I think that is a very sharp critique of some modern movements and how they chew up and throw out the people that need the help the most. You know, that's it's a recurring yeah. theme in Brian K. Vaughn's work of people that abuse systems of power, even if they aren't just immediately the face of the problem, you know, 
So the revolution, they aren't the Landfallians or the Reithians, but like they're benefiting from the war too. They're scrambling for power. They even if they don't realize it, right? And volume five, more so than almost any other volume, very much is a continuation of the volume right before it. There isn't much of like a jump in time or space. It just picks up right after. And so they they form a fun little couplet in the middle of the series. Um, does someone want to summarize what happens in Volume 5, maybe? Sure, let me look at it. Just like remember, she... everything like blurs together because I go in like one big read. Yeah. It is a very readable comic. Yeah, like I just kept, I just, I just keep going, so. I, I know because I read through all six volumes in like a week, <laughs> even though we were only supposed to do three. All right. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I see where we start. Um, all right. So basically, this is where we get to see our friend Sophie, both of them, and also Gwendolyn right off the beginning. That's kind of fun. We get our other backup story. Um, so we see the trio basically go on their hunt for Dragon Dick, which is icky but funny at the same time. Yeah. So. Yeah, we see their hunt. Dallas, um, put it. Dallas, Dallas is currently showing us a picture of a dragon sucking its own penis. It's gross. Took me a minute to figure that picture out. I will tell you that right now. Aw, you sweet summer child. No, I was just confused. I was like, what in the world? What, you never seen a dragon autofillate? Come on. <laughs> Just what every human male wishes they could do. Dragon dick for God. How have we not talked about Goose yet? Can we just say how much of a big character he's become? And I love it. Yo, fun fact. Goose was a throwaway one-time character that when Brian K. Vaughn got the pages back, because Fiona Staples is in charge of all character design. Mm -hmm. There are no notes as to what people are supposed to look like. (gasps) So that's all Fiona Staples. And when he got those pages back, he loved it so much that he altered <laughs> a character. There oh. was going to be a character that just became Goose in the story. Goose filled that role for the remainder of the series thus far. I love that. that. I love that so much. Because I love he was how like, he's just like such a good neutral. Like he's like, come on, everyone. Let's go fight Frendo. But I also love that like every once in a while, a little bit of Goose spoils where he's like, Goose will cut you deep. Or oh. when he swears on the buried treasure of Family Goose, I was like, Arden, I want that series. I would like to see it. Please give me the buried treasure of Family Goose. I'll hail the house of Goose. Also, Goose is a surname? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, what's his first name? Or my favorite, here, I'll show you. My favorite picture of him is when he's getting choked out. And his little fluffy head. <laughs> he looks like he doesn't have a neck. He oh, he's eyes. Like, this is nothing. And his squinty annoyed. eyeballs. I love him. He's, I always say, Marco, favorite character, one of my favorite characters in fiction. Goose is my favorite character in Saga, and both those things can be true. Oh, it's so. How much you have it? You're, you get to keep good. that. It's so good. Um, Something I do want to talk a little bit about with, Volume 5 focuses much more on the brand 
Sophie and Gwendolyn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we talked last time about how much we all enjoyed Lion Cat and Sophie's relationship. Right. And that very much comes to the forefront in this this volume and this story. But the something I hadn't ever noticed before, there were two scenes that I liked both of, but I didn't realize the second was homaging the first. But there comes a point where a a very nasty goblin is preparing to to basically sexually yeah. assault oh, Gwendolyn and yes. uh, Sophie. And you'll remember from the first book that Sophie very much had internalized and blamed herself for a lot of what men like this goblin had done to her. And there was a really sweet moment where Lion Cat clears that up for her. And so then it was so satisfying in this book, too, for like this horrifying thing to come up and be happening again. And then to have it play out the same way where it's like, oh, I am defined by this thing that happens to me. And Lion Cat just says lying Again. Ooh, that is such and a like, chilling picture, too. And like Lion one of the Cat best. To eat him. Yeah, you just see after hearing yeah. just like the vile stuff this goblin says, you turn the page to see Lion Cat perched above, ready to kill a motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> and just says lying, and it's so good. And the color I checked, the color palette is the exact same as it was on that original. They. It's very nice. I like it. Obviously, like, I I have a lot to say about the colors of this book that I can get to later. But like the teals of Lion Cat come through in both of the pages. There's greens. There's like the pink fleshy colors. It's beautiful. It definitely is. A, it seems to me to be a visual homage. Um, but I really loved it, and I loved Volume Five. Allows te- introduces us more to the brand, or as we come to learn in this volume, Sophie, Sophie One, the one by which our little Sophie gets her name. Yeah. What did we think of the brand? And Sweet Boy. boy. And Sweet Boy with his little sleep darts from his nose. I just (laughs) Yeah. I Deadpool dog. I like it. I want to know what's in his barrel. His little barrel marked with a skull and crossbones. Yeah. Poison. (laughs) <laughs> sleepy time poison there, uh, the, the whole arc with them we know it's heading to tragedies but they put in motion comes back into play later mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's interesting because on one side we have what used to be one of the antagonists just Prince Robot teaming up with Marco for like the main line and mm-hmm. then what's happening here is setting up the next antagonist to come, which is going to be the Will. And it's interesting to see the difference between the Will and um, Sophie One, to see the difference between the Will and the brand, because they're very much two people who are, are a lot alike. They're both the, what what are they called? They're not hunters. They're, um... Like, oh, I would have known if you hadn't said it. Freelancers. <laughs> Freelancers. Freelancers. Okay. Yeah, they're both freelancers and they both you know they have the the animal psychics they're both they have the same like attitudes but i feel like there's more of a caring nature in sophie than there was in the will which is weird because i think the will you know he saved sophie but from what we see of him later i think that was just a reaction to like his relationship to his sister i think he was trying to be more like her if that Mm -hmm. makes sense 
The Will is definitely a broken character. Yes. And Sophie seems like somebody that has been through some shit and figured out how to come out better on the other side. Exactly. And the Will is somebody who has gone through some shit and came out broken on the other side. That's a good way to put it. That's a very good way to put it. Uh, it's her fate is tragic. It's it very, is, very and it's so. I feel like it's the first death that like really hit me in the book. Really, I was so shocked. I was like, "Oh, that happened." Because okay. it just it feels so sudden. I feel mm-hmm. like like Bar's death. I was like, "Oh wow, okay, it's building towards this." Mm-hmm. Yuma's death, even I was like, "Yeah, f you, Expected. tree lady." Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the brand, I got attached, and I was like, "Oh, she's gonna be around for a while." Mm-hmm. I love her so much. I'm so excited to see where this... Oh, she's dead. Oh, just like that. On a page turn, she's dead. Yep. It's... It's not telegraphed. It's not... And like, it feels like a real-life death. Like, it comes out yeah. of nowhere. It, yeah, because in real life, you don't see stuff like that happen. It's like, in stories, sometimes death is so overly televised. Like, not televised, telegraphed sometimes. It's mm-hmm. just like you can see if you've been reading stories a while and you know how story structure works and character arcs work, you can see a death coming a mile off. It's stories like this where they're like, okay, we're not playing with story rules. We're playing with, with realistic rules. And that's that's something that like keeps you on the edge of your seat. That's what like makes you afraid to turn the page. Because I know I we talked about how bingeable this is. It's bingeable in the way it's like I need to know what happens, but I don't really want to know what happens. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm scared of losing someone else, and that's that's an interesting effect for a book to have, especially a comic book. I think an interesting tidbit about why this comic is so bingeable: um, Brian K. Vaughn is very adamant that he's always going to publish this through Image because mm-hmm. he has full control over whether or not ads go in his comics, and he has opted to not because he plans out every single page turn. It's like that's- part of his. Part of his process is he breaks down the 22 pages and he figures out how every single even page, so the backside page mm-hmm. that you don't get to see until you turn to it, is a little page reveal. And so you'll notice most of the big moments happen on that inside page. That makes a lot of sense. That's that's something that Junji Ito does too, where he like plans those like jump scares for the page turn. He makes sure that you don't see it coming. And I had no idea. That's that's really fascinating. And that makes a lot of sense. That dragon page turn definitely got me. It does. It's and you get in this habit of knowing that there's going to be something exciting on the other page. Mm-hmm. Right? Um this volume definitely seems to have a little bit more action than the previous book, but I still don't think it's the main fencing of it all, right? We talked last podcast about how this is much more like the theater where words and vocabulary and drama is the right. action. And somehow they cranked the action in this book, but they still cranked the melodrama and the characters yeah. high enough that they were the main characters. Do you want to talk like about Marco and Prince Robot's relationship in this volume? Because that was the most fascinating aspect to me, especially the volume where Prince Robot has to save him from his drug trip. Yes, you go for it. Take it away. Okay. It's just, it's it's so fast. There's these people that obviously don't want to work together, but they have to because they both want to get their loved ones back. And Marco goes through this absolute trip where he's just like so pushed over the edge by everything. He takes a bunch of fade away 
And he takes so much, he literally starts, like, rewinding through his own timeline mentally. And the, like, trauma he goes through, just that whole that whole issue is just talking about his relationship with violence. And the things you see, like, he talks about, um, we, it starts just very simply with just a sex scene with him and his wife. And his wife asks him to, like, spank her. And he refuses to. And he brings up a story about when he actually hit a, when he hit a girl when he was younger and then we actually get to see that scene and we see it's the way his dad reacted because it's one thing for someone to say you should have seen the look in my father's eyes and it's a very different thing to get to see that look just a few mm-hmm. pages later mm-hmm. and the moment where he actually killed some civilians during the war and it's thinking that that chapter hit really hard and it's when he wakes back up you can tell like it's been a lot, but it doesn't improve their relationship at all. Like him and Prince Robot, they just kind of tolerate each other. And it's it's, it's funny because it's one of those relationships where like, I kind of want it to work out because I'm rooting for both these characters to win. But at the same time, it's just like, they're never going to get along. This is the most tenuous partnership I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm still expecting any of either one of them to stab the other one in the back at any moment. And it's... I like the line from Goose where he says he is not scared of Prince Robot, but he is terrified of Marco. In that his was, mean little great. scowly face. <laughs> in his big poofy neck. Um, fun fact about the process of Saga. I I read a lot about how this book gets made mm-hmm. in preparation for this. Um, Brian K. Vaughn doesn't like flashbacks very much, and so he wasn't going to include any in Saga. And Fiona Staples was the one that thought that it was important to flesh out the backstories of these characters a little bit more. So this issue that was so impactful that was all flashbacks from Brian, from Marco is a direct result of Fiona Staples' contributions to the story of Saga, which I think is cool. Like they definitely have a very collaborative relationship with this book. Yeah, I read a little bit of what you sent me today. That was really, really fascinating. And I, I like hearing more about the relationship that artists and writers have in these books because I feel like he's right. Sometimes we do give a lot more credit to the writers than we do to the artists because I think from the outside, it's not as easy to see that relationship bounce back and forth. And we just assume that all the story, all the character beats come from the writer and the artist just does what the writer tells them to. And it's just... It's never that simple, especially in a book that works as well as this one, because you need that team to work in harmony to be able to tell the story effectively. It's so funny we do that in a primarily visual medium. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, I, it's almost a sort of carryover of, well, that's the, that's the book part of what we're doing, and books are respectable. And so the comic part, that's the less, lesser part that's just along for the ride. You know right. what I mean? Like, those are the storyboards to the book that I'm reading. It's like, no, that is not at all how it works. Right. And I love I love how much Brian K. Vaughn clearly loves working with Fiona Staples. And I think that they are a phenomenal team. Um, I love my boy Prince Robot. He gets so messy in this volume <laughs> and he only gets messier the second he puts on that black outfit it's over yep it is yep. over He's for the cool. rest of the book i that was, that was a moment though that was what? beautiful <laughs> like, he's standing there in all black and like lightning striking across the thing i was yes. like oh what's good hamlet how are you <laughs> little sweetie we're about to get tragic as shit in this and 
he goes on an interesting arc. And I think the juxtaposition of he and Marco is interesting because he and Marco are never closer than when Marco is doing the, the worst. Mm-hmm. You know, when Marco is like, I like what he's like, the turn from pacifist to warlord. Like, warlord Marco is someone that Robot respects and likes. Mm-hmm. And like, they are both men that are all out to save their family. And it's interesting to see one that has no problems with violence and one that does not like violence. And it really sells the thesis of Saga that violence is not the answer. The war is ugly, right? Because Prince Robot is ugly. You know what I mean? Like, as a character. I was going to say, you're being robotist right now. Are you calling the robots ugly? I love in volume six when they're like, you look exactly like this TV guy. And he's like, I'm with a bunch of racists. <laughs> I laughed out loud. I was like, that that's a good bit. Good job. Yes. Uh, we didn't even talk about the revolution, but... <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I didn't really care for the revolutionaries that much. Yeah, I didn't either. I was like, get these superheroes out of here. <laughs> yeah, they were kind of mediocre. Toodaloo. I mean, they definitely served a purpose, but I was yeah. like, you were the least interesting part of this. Interesting well, story. how about... Oh, you muted yourself. I was going to say, how about we talk about Convict Grandma and how badass she is. Are we transitioning into Volume 6? Should we? Does anybody else have anything in 5? What else is in 5? We can go to 6. Yeah. Transitioning to 6, that's a good choice of words. Oof. (laughs) (laughs) Oof. Um, Yeah. Yeah, do you want to talk about... Uh, Do you want to give the the rundown first and then we can talk about the smaller little bits? Yeah. Um, so Saga Volume 6, or as I like to call it, Saga is the New Black, um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> picks up with Marco and Alana having been reunited at the end of Volume 5 and basically planning, heisting their way back into their daughter's life. Um, Upshur and Doff, the two bitchiest men in the galaxy... <laughs> are back on the trail of Marco and Alana, and Clara and baby Hazel are in prison on Landfall. And so a massive fan of the Oceans franchise, I I love this volume. I think it's very fun. Um, I think one of my favorite single issues of Saga is issue 32, when they break into the building with all the information to go find Hazel. They meet the constables... It's just, it's a very, I feel like Brian K. Vaughn realized that it had been 12 hard issues in a row and was like, all right, let's give him a really fun issue. Let's give him a win here for a minute before plunging the dagger deeper. Yeah, <laughs> to say the least. Um, but yeah, really, this is where the diaspora starts to come back together, right? Everybody starts sort of working back towards this prison and reuniting the family and our new antagonist, the will is set on his path and his collision course with the family aided by Upshur and Doff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, do we want to talk about specific beats from the volume? Yeah, it's, we can start in the prison, the prison. Oh my gosh. And goose will cut you deep. <laughs> we'll 
And he does he'll chop, chop deep. He, he does, does chop, chop deep. He does chop deep. He takes four he's fingers. A, he's a badass. I'm he not going to lie. Goose. And Frendo. Frendo's a badass, too. Frendo I don't want to, like, I don't want to jinx anything. But, like, Goose, I feel like Goose is going to live forever. I want Goose to live forever. Better. I mean, there was a character I thought would live forever that did not live through <laughs> the last bit. And it's not even the one you're thinking of. It's one that Alexis hasn't had spoiled yet. I know which one you're Wait talking about. Yeah. <laughs> that was the one I thought was going to live forever. But actually, it's funny enough, you go back and you read volume four, and there's actually like a little bit of foreshadowing to that, I think. I'll text I, you later. Okay, do. Yes. Do, because I didn't pick up on it. <laughs> okay. But um, the prison scene is interesting because we get introduced to a brand new pe- character, Petricor, which is this the first... No, not the first, because the um the news reporters are our first LGBT characters in the story. But Petricor is our first transgender character in the story, and the first like really out transgender character. I think. Wait, no, because he did. I haven't read why the last man because I gave up because it hurt me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's something that always makes me nervous when I hear that someone is writing a transgender character, especially when the person writing it is just is cisgender. Mm-hmm. And when they have as a notorious a background as why the last man. That's was... certainly something that Brian K. Vaughn is fascinated with. Yes, it is. And, and you can like... see him get, I feel you see, can see him get better with Saga, but still not yeah. perfect. Still not perfect. There's a scene that actually comes up in the next volumes where Petricor says in the original copies, she said she was transgendered, which isn't the correct term, but they did fix that upon like the print release so that's good at least but it's it's one of those situations where it's like you can tell he's fascinated by it and it's kind of weird <laughs> to say that from like my perspective because it's like i'm am i fascinating <laughs> it makes me almost feel like a science project you know yeah. just like i it's the way petrichor is introduced i know we talked about this a little bit when i was reading through it the first time and said it'd be something worth bringing up it's interesting how they play it off and i'm not sure if i'm reading it like completely objectively i didn't like it except it was one of those page turns where it's like you turn the page and it's just there and it's the page turn and it's just petrichor standing there naked and of course petrichor was you know um assigned male at birth and still has male genitalia and it's just it's an alley (laughs) that that was the one scene that did make me laugh that part did make me laugh it's just a lot of the times these page turns have been played for like the oh look at how weird this is and at first, that's kind of like the way it stuck to me is it kind of like playing Petricor's body as like a jump scare almost. Mm-hmm. And that felt a little off to me. But I think I understand why they did it because it's they wanted it to be the same surprise, I guess, that, you know, Sophie experienced because Sophie's never met a transgender person before. Sophie had no idea that someone could be like that. So I understand why it happened like that, but it still makes me feel a little uncomfy because it makes me feel like. I don't want a transgender person's genitals to feel like they're a jump scare, you know, if that makes sense. Totally. It's, we didn't get to see, in these volumes at least, so for this part of the the conversation, we didn't get to see a lot that, like, hinted towards how she'd be treated in the future. I did like the part where she said, in here I be girl, and stuff like that. I, it seemed like they were treating her with respect. And the fact that she was a good and kind person to Sophie, I appreciated that as well. Because a lot of times... There's this, especially with the way people talk about transgender women in prisons, they talk about like, oh, you can't put a transgender woman in a woman's prisons because 
it's just a man that'll be violent. And I appreciated that the one caring person in there was the transgender woman. And I, that was a nice mm-hmm. change in pace from stereotypes. So there's Petricor is a complicated character that I'm still trying to like finalize my opinions on. And I think I like the character. I'm just not sure about the execution thus far. So if that makes sense, yeah. that's my little, my little spiel for this volume. I, I, I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. I think, um, Thank you for sharing, by the way. Thank you for talking about something that isn't always fun to talk about. Um, as as a cis man, obviously defer to Anne's judgment on things, right? Um, I, I agree that the jump scare nature of Petricor is bad. It's in, I think it's in bad mm-hmm. taste, you know? I, I love Brian K. Vaughn. I love this book. I think it would be unfair to not criticize this shortcoming of this book right Mm -hmm. i think there's a notorious amount of like i love bo burnham's special inside when he's like he's like they need to hear about it from a white guy like me (laughs) and like i that saga feels a little bit like that sometimes and brian Mm -hmm. k vaughn feels a little bit like that sometimes where like you can care you can tell he cares an awful lot and he wants to do the right thing and things like changing the wording the second he finds out that it's not good demonstrates that like it's important for him to do it the right way. But mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of like, dude, you're you're a white straight guy that's trying to like commodify the experience of a whole lot of people that you aren't, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's it's this interesting double-edged sword because between like oranges, the new black and saga. Both things were coming out at the same time, and it was my first exposure as someone that lives in Utah in like a very conservative part of an already conservative state. It was my first interaction with a trans person ever was reading this book, you know? And so it like, I felt like it really opened my eyes. And to me, it was a, I'm so glad I saw this before I saw Silence of the Lambs, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. And like, I hate that that's the comparison, but like, I felt like I was equipped to be like, oh, this is a character I love and like, mm-hmm. and therefore, like, I I don't agree with a lot of the awful shit that gets said. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, it is, it is this double-edged sword where I'm like, this book helped me be a better person, but now I, looking at it, can see it is not handling something perfectly. It's that, like, it's the comparison, I think, especially bringing up, like, Silence of the Lambs. Like, the way transgender people are represented now is so different than it was just like, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. And it's good because it's moving in the right direction. But I think that this is a good example that's like, even though it's moving in the right direction, there are still parts that aren't there yet. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons why including like trans voices and stuff like this is so important because there's perspectives that haven't been shared. Yet. And that's like a lot of the, like people aren't intentionally trying to do anything like usually the like Brian K. Vaughn obviously didn't have like ill intent when he was writing this. And it's a a huge step up from the way he talked about trans people and like why the last man. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting because it's like, it's a good step up, but just because it's a good step up doesn't mean there aren't still things to to talk about that can be better. And it's talk, it's by talking about those things that can be better that they eventually get better. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I think this is a great example of how the conversation has even changed in five years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, I, I'll i be very interested to see 
what petrichor is like post hiatus mm-hmm. you know um i'm i like the character i think she's fun yeah. i think she's a charming person that you get to know a lot more next time in november <laughs> when we come back to saga exactly there's one panel in particular that i just have saved on my phone because it's one of my favorite panels so far and it's a petrichor moment and i can't wait to talk about it she's great and i really like this volume with the introduction of petrichor did sometimes feel like an after school special you know like the very Mm -hmm. special episode of saga but like some of those moments were a very special episode for me you know when um clara is definitely a transphobe you know Mm -hmm. and the book looks her in the eyes and says like all the shit you've been preaching and you believe all of a sudden you can't extend to somebody and i think that is such a big thing that comes up in life all the time where Mm -hmm. it's like oh that's where your empathy ends like that's bullshit like don't be like that don't and I, i did like that the very special episode of saga sort of said like don't be a full of shit person who decides where your empathy ends. You know, I like, I liked that moment. Very good point. <sighs> clearly a mixed bag. Clearly a mis- uh, <laughs> clearly a mixed bag, but you know, what isn't a mixed bag. Hazel's teacher. I really liked her. Noreen. I love Noreen. <laughs> Noreen was in my dream the other day. What? <laughs> I was just having a dream where I was hanging out and Noreen was like, and I were chatting about books. And then I woke up and I was like, I think I like that saga. I don't know. <laughs> Who would have thought? I well, think yeah. about Noreen a lot. What a Bless lady. Her heart. I Can we talk about just good teachers? Yeah, yeah. I know that... you, you've talked about your great English teacher a decent mm-hmm. amount. And Alexis, do you do you have a favorite teacher? That meant a lot to you, like Noreen? And I didn't mean to just, like, brush you aside. And I, you, I'll no, give you no, a moment to think as well and go after Lex. I have an example of a terrible teacher that I still think of to this day. <laughs> That's not what we're talking that about. That was the assignment. Singleton. I want a good one. I want a Noreen. <laughs> I don't think there were a lot of Noreens in Lake Utah. Mrs. Rigby, kindergarten class. Oh, okay, she still freaking volunteers at the school. She is at least 115. I'm not lying. She literally taught one of our 50-year-old neighbors kindergarten, literally. Me and Alexis had the same kindergarten teacher, and she is a billion. She is a million years old. She retired and then got bored and came back. I'm I'm pretty sure it's a requirement. You have to be over 80 to teach kindergarten. I'm pretty sure it's a a national mandate. Yep. That is true. And she was there when our 12-year-old sister was there, so weird. You really didn't have a good experience with a single teacher, Miss Lex? Um, sorry, my dog is like crying behind me. Um, I feel like my favorite teacher that I can think of off the top of my head probably was my junior high English teacher. She also was like our student government um advisor too, so like I feel like I had more fun with her in there than I did in actual class. But I don't know. She was just kind of quirky and fun. So I liked her a lot. Like Lawson. What was one of your favorite memories with a Noreen-like teacher, Anne? Oh, there was a teacher I had in fourth grade who actually let me teach a, a 
for a day, let me teach about dinosaurs because I was really into dinosaurs in fourth grade and I was upset that we wouldn't be talking about them in science. So she's like, here, why don't you teach the class one day about dinosaurs? So I did like a, I had a, a class plan and I had like quizzes and stuff like that. And it was really cool. And I got to teach the class once. And <laughs> that was really fun. What if we make a Patreon exclusive dinosaur podcast? Because I, I too am a massive dinosaur fan. I spent five hours in the Natural History Museum the other day just nerding about dinosaurs. Beautiful. My parents said, like, we went to the Field Museum in Chicago when I was, like, six or seven. My parents said I just, like, guided them through the whole thing. They said I I pointed everything and knew what it was. I love it. I love dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are my first love. Like, if someone held a gun to my head and they were like, hang out with dinosaurs or hang out with a comic book character, I would be a fool that picked dinosaurs and was eaten. I always, like, if I had, like, one wish, it'd be, like, I want to, like, go on, a like, a safari through all of time and see every animal that ever lived. Because that's, that's, I love it. Whenever that's someone says, shit. whenever someone says, write the kind of comics that you want to read, I'm, like, where's the dinosaur content? <laughs> I am going to write, with no humans, no dialogue, nothing. Just silent issues, there are dinosaurs. Actually, there are dinosaur comics. What? There, yeah, there are. I had to shelf them at the library. What? I will find you the name of these comics and I will send them to you. Although dinosaur comics are hard because like you can write one and you can have an artist draw it, but the drawings are just going to be out of date in like a year. In five minutes. In five minutes. They're going to discover a new Spinosaurus tale and all of a sudden your book is out of date. I can't believe they fucking nerfed Spinosaurus again. I'm so sick of it, Dallas. I'm so sick of it. Every it year, to watch Jurassic Park three. Every year they make Spinosaurus more of just a big old crocodile, and every year you have to say that is not the monster that was in my brain. Such bullshit. These SJWs changing Spinosaurus. Everybody's complaining about how comics are taking away boobs. But they nerfed <laughs> Spinosaurus, you fools. They, they took his shins. Give back his shins. <laughs> they made him a squat little potato man. They even oh. took out the middle of his spine, ladies and gentlemen. We didn't need another crocodile. We have so many fucking crocodiles. I'm done. I give up. We've, We've had crocodiles for so long. Yeah, forget about the dragon filleting itself. We're going to talk about the shape of Spinosaurus' spine. Spinosaurus would never... Never. Spinosaurus couldn't even reach its dong. It's just a sad little oh, river boy. Leave <laughs> Spinosaurus's small dong out of this. Just a little donged, flat-tailed river monster. I'm sorry, Lexi. I'm so sorry. This is such an exciting conversation to come back to. You leave for five minutes and we're into dinosaur land. Sorry. Junie was having a 911 emergency. She had to bark at the neighbor outside. She could not just do That's it inside. You. Love that for her. I know. I thought she had to potty. Nope. She just needed to bark at the working man outside. Love that. In real time. Yep. Oh. The, oh, you go. No, I was. Go ahead. Go, go. <laughs> I was going to say, my Noreen experience was in third grade. Shout out to Mrs. Kapner. I had this, like, very cool teacher that up until that point, I had always been, like, you are a smart kid and smart kids are serious. And like, like all my teachers really like fostered that side of me. And Mrs. Kaepner saw me and was like, you're funny. And would like praise me for making her laugh and telling jokes and like really like coming out of my shell. Mm -hmm. And I attribute so much of who I am today because 
I had an awesome like off the wall teacher that was willing to praise parts of me that like teachers usually don't love, you know, like you usually get punished for being a class clown and Mrs. Gapner encouraged it. And I I just, I will love her forever. Like I remember what her face looks like. I remember what her classroom looked like. She read us the tale of Despero and Coraline during like free time. I, I said a while back, I was like, oh, I've never read a Neil Gaiman book. And I was like, that's not true. Mrs. Kapner read me a Neil Gaiman book because she was very cool. And she was my Noreen. And so like, I love Noreen and Hazel's relationship in Saga Volume 6. I remembered my Noreen. I'm sorry, you're, I actually asked you earlier. My you real one. one. Well, let me tell you why I... Uh, I feel like my mind blocks it out a little bit in a like a keep it safe type of way. Mm-hmm. So my sixth grade teacher, I have a similar kind of story, like, but the opposite. Like I was always, sorry, my child is losing her freaking mind in the background. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, I growing up was always told that I was dumb in the very opposite. Like, oh, I know your older brother. He's smart. Why can't you figure it out? Because I was very social. So it was like the very opposite. Like, Dallas was smart. He was always told to be serious. And I was the opposite. And I remember my sixth grade teacher, Miss December, um, I switched into her class at a new school. And um, I just remember her, like, making me feel so smart and that I knew what I was doing. And... I didn't realize it at the time, but I realized it like years later, um, her impact that she had on a lot of people in our class. And I feel like I'm going to cry <laughs> because um, my hell, she passed away of cancer two years ago. And um, it was crazy because I even after I had moved on graduated high school, like all these things. And I remember she transferred schools to my little sister's school, but she didn't, she didn't directly teach our little sister, but they do like the rotations. So Tiffany knew her. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when she got diagnosed with cancer, um, we have a neighbor that will do like um, charity fundraiser things for people with cancer. And she was like, hey, I know that this was a teacher for you. And she was pretty influential. Like, do you want to come and help me? And I remember, like, walking into her classroom. And I just, like, felt like I was 11 years old again. And she just, like, gave me the biggest hug. And I still, like, think about that. And I feel like I just blocked it out because it just makes me so emotional. But that's my Noreen. Mr. Zember. You win. That was really sweet. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Teachers rule. Mm-hmm. If there are any teachers listening to this, we love you. You're the and best. You're the best. Like, I, I remember all of my teachers, and I remember the teachers that made me feel important. Mm-hmm. And it's cool to see in a comic book that I love so much that a writer I admire so much obviously loves young teachers as well. You know, mm-hmm. teachers of little kids. You yeah. 
you are all the saints. You are saints, all of you. I was so happy to see the 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 way she went because I was expecting like first I was expecting her to just be gone because she hits her head on the table and I was expecting that to be the end of it. But I when she woke up, I was so surprised to see that she was so empathetic and so caring and that she was willing to go out of her way and put herself in danger to get Hazel out of that situation. I thought that was incredible. I thought that was so unexpected, especially for a book like this that has so many points of just like bitter realism sometimes. I think it's nice to remind ourselves that there are also good people out there who do good things like this because they want to. And not everything needs that really super dramatic dark twist. Like she didn't sell Hazel out or anything like that. She seriously wanted to help her and she seriously did. I like that. I feel like volume six had a lot of okay, you've been through the ringer, here's the emotional payoff. Mm-hmm. You know, when like Marco and Hazel finally reunite. And I I hadn't realized until reading that moment, I was like, oh, it's been years. It's been years that they've been apart and she was a baby. Like she's not going to remember Marco. And then when she does, and she just says like, daddy, 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 yeah. like mm-hmm. melted heart. Like one of the best scenes. That hit hard. It did. And I like in the back matter of the hardcover for this, Brian K. Vaughn says, look, we do know how to give a happy ending about issue 36. Yeah. Issue 36 has a happy ending. And I think volume six of Saga is. It's weirdly one that like I don't remember as well as the first five. I feel like the first five are like seared into my mind. Like I could repeat them scene for scene to you if you held a gun to me right but like volume six onward is where it starts to get a little bit more i remember the big strokes but not the little moments Mm -hmm. and so it was such a delight for me to read volume six again and remember how much of it i really did like how many good moments there were how healing it felt to see this family find each other again across the galaxy it's very good. I like this it's book. It's very good. The, <laughs> the classic Alexis. It's very good. It's very good. I like that this little section actually had like, it felt like it had a complete story in that way because it starts with them splitting up and it's the story about them finding each other again. And mm-hmm. if you just stop right here and pretend that it doesn't go on after that, you'll be okay. <laughs> you'll be set. It Just pretend nothing else ever happened. <laughs> yeah, that's the end of Saga. Surprise. That's the end of Saga. Well, there's the, the last page of um, uh, volume six that we want to oh. talk about. Oh, yeah. yeah. So in issue 32, um, the little sluts, they. <laughs> the married sluts. The married sluts decide to break their vow of celibacy because they feel. I mean, they had, it tells you in the book, they had an unspoken vow of celibacy. And just like every other vow they'd ever taken, they weren't very good at it. And so the last page of this volume in classic Brian K. Vaughn cliffhanger mode reveals who wants to say it? Not me. Alana's pregnant. Ding! Hooray. She's very excited. She's very excited. And Marco looks shocked. (laughs) Alexis, you are muted. Damn it. I had so many good things. (laughs) I just said. What did you say? Um, I he just looks like Marco wants to die. The end. <laughs> yeah, he he looks probably how I would look 
if my <laughs> wife was like, I'm pregnant, I would probably look exactly like Marco. So oh, I'd be so happy. I don't think it's sad. It's just like what? Like, holy just, f. Huh? <laughs> what? Bewilderment. It's utter bewilderment. But who would have thought the consequences to my own actions? <laughs> <laughs> Word. Word. He's like, uh-huh. I'm not this competent in anything else in my entire life. How? She's like, man, am I a fertile guy? <laughs> someone who's not supposed to procreate with someone. We do are very, very good at it. <laughs> Pretty good at procreating. I would just like to teach Marco about something called a contraception, sir. It is not that hard. <laughs> well, there may be many things in that situation that are hard. Contraception is not one of them. Do you want to know something? I was going to make a joke, but I gave up on it because I literally thought to myself, nope, Dallas got it. He'll cover it. He got it. (laughs) Bingo, baby. You're like, my my man child of a friend. He'll have it. He'll have the lowbrow sex joke. He's got my back. The large child. I can be the interesting conversation. Alexis can be the emotional depth. And Dallas, that punk ass, can be the smut. (laughs) He can be the smut. And together, they can all come together to be Saga. Yep. So happy. That'll do it. All right. What did we think of this volume as a whole? This oh, big set, set of volumes. I think compared to the first part, which was just very, I feel like the first part was like just ramp, like um, a romping space, space adventure. This one felt more settled down. And I think that emotional weight is what makes it feel heavier than the first part. I think, like, in terms of just, like, how sad they made me, the first part probably made me the least amount sad. This made me the most. And then the next part is going to make is gonna take that silver. So um, there's still a lot we have to go. But I'm glad that a lot of the emotional brunt that this series has is, like, in the past now. I'm ready to move on to something a little different. Uh, it feels like it gets a little more whimsical again. Yep. A little more exciting. I, yeah, this... I said at the beginning of the podcast, the middle hard part, while I recognize it's important, is always my least favorite bit. (laughs) And so while I do really like this, it is very high quality. I can read it very quickly is my least favorite bit. Here be my cat. She wants to be fed. She is so cute. She is. Oh, that's so cute. She would would live in jail. Oh my gosh. What did you think of this set of volumes, Alexis? I thought it was a really good just continuation of laying the foundation of what gnarly BS is going to happen. Because I feel like, I mean, I already spoiled it for myself on accident. But I can't believe you. I, I literally <laughs> said, don't do it. I was read it tonight anyway. You're like our freaking dad. So fun story, everyone. Once upon a time... We, me and my dad were on a space simulator that like spun you super fast to like create uh-huh. the g-force of like taking off in a rocket. Of course. And they were like, "Yes, hello. Please don't look off to the side. You'll get so car sick." And my dad was like, "Bullshit! They're hiding something cool over there." And so he looked, <laughs> and I, as a twelve-year-old, had to watch my dad like get so sick. And I was just like. They told you not to. And he looked at me, he's he like... said they thought they had a Chewbacca. Yeah, he's like, of course they're going to say that. That's where they had all the cool stuff. What? I'm going to look over there. I expected to see Chewbacca or something. I didn't think they were telling the truth. 
And that was Alexis just now. Was I specifically told you not to? She's like, what? What are you going to do? I thought maybe there was a Chewbacca in it. I was, was going to say, Alexis, did you find Chewbacca on that final page? I found a lot worse than Chewbacca on that final page. I will tell you that right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, though. A Wookiee noise is definitely what came out of my mouth when I read that page. <laughs> <laughs> and just... <laughs> falls over dead. Oh, jeez. Oh, uh, I hate to be an absolute party pooper, but I do have to leave for work in 10 minutes. So... You, okay. Well, we're going to do the last little podcast bit anyway, where we talk about weekly books. Okay, so that's you can dip. Everyone, tune in um, in November for more Saga, if that's the only thing you like. Or if you like horror comics, be prepared. It's going to be a great month. It'll be fun. Lots of spooky, scary skeletons. And freaking yeah. bats. We yeah. love Halloween. It's also spooky, scary, so... Alexis, mm. let this be your awakening. I was your age when I was awoken to horror. <laughs> I did. We'll get into that next time. Go have fun at work. We oh, have was- weekly oh. comics to talk about, baby. Hey, have fun. Bye. I'm going to miss you. Bye. Miss you all. Goodbye. Toodaloo. You're, you're it. <laughs> Bye, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we have, we have emails. It's been yeah. an episode. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm Glenn's favorite. Goodbye. You are. You can stop feel like now. <laughs> There's so much we talked about. There's also so much we didn't talk about. Just... It literally has been an hour and a half. So oh. good luck recording that, Dallas. <laughs> fixing that. But, okay, but I do have to go. Goodbye. Kiss Bye. Kiss. Toodaloo. All right. I feel, like we're at that, I feel like we're at that point now where it's like if we missed anything, we just have to say, sorry, we missed it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like... I've said all the stuff I want to say. There's so much more to this book. Read it. Read the book. Reread the book. If we kindled your love, read it again. <laughs> it's like, that's the good thing. It's like, there's so much here that you could listen to us tell you everything. There's still going to be stuff in there that surprises you. So, Yeah, this was my fourth read-through. And I liked it just as much as the first time. So, like... <laughs> So like sadist, she says. Yes. I like it. All right. Do you want to do um quote, do you want to do an email or do you want to do weekly comics first? Um, let's do weekly comics first. Let's run right. through that really fast. Hells yeah. Let's do it, yo. All right. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? I will go first. And my first pick is the amazing Spider-Man. Just kidding. Um, my first pick is actually Action Comics 1035. I just I had to I had to do it to you. I had to do it. Um <laughs> Action Comics has been fantastic so far, and this is setting up the beginning of that really long um War World arc, which is gonna be really fascinating, especially if you read Future State. So make sure you check it out. Ah, oh, it's it's so good. I'm actually worried. I'm going into Superman, Superman comic concerned for what's going to happen to our good boy Clark. So, well, I bet I bet they write him out forever. I bet something so Probably. bad happens that he never comes back. That's <laughs> how gonna, corporate comics work. He's gonna die, and then there's gonna be four and more versions of him, and then he's gonna come back with super lightsaber claws or something. <laughs> I just hope he comes back with a mullet again. Yeah, bring back the mullet. Forget the trunks, just bring back the mullet. Yeah, we're a pro-mullet Superman podcast. That's our... <laughs> the hell Everyone we're gonna unsubscribes. Die on. Everyone just leaves. Yeah, they're all just like, adios. Um, fun fact, I 
I ironically say adios, and I don't, and then I realize like, oh, I haven't said it right in so long. There are people that have met me. It's just like that moron says adios. <laughs> My whole personality is just shit that I started doing to make myself laugh that became who I am. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. That that's me too. Mine yeah. is just shit I picked up from things I watch or read that make me laugh and I want to incorporate in my life so people think I'm funny. That's, That's my whole personality. It's, it's all, all I do is plagiarize things that are cooler than me. <laughs> um, my first pick is got to be Inferno number one. I am so excited yeah. for Inferno number hey, one. Hey, guess hey. What? Hey, what? I read it. <laughs> I've read it already. Hey, you suck. <laughs> Little Miss review folder. Shut the hell up over there. Some Very of us exciting. have to wait until the week it comes out to read it. Like peasants. Hey, the Marvel ones I have to wait until the day before, so... Was it... Was it good? I can't tell you. You're not legally allowed Literally, to blink embargo, at me. I can't say anything. <laughs> blink three times if it was good. Oh, man. We'll never know what that was. <laughs> okay. I... I am very excited. I I am sad that Jonathan Hickman is walking away from X-Men for the time being. Uh, I know a lot of people very quickly went from like, don't be worried. This is... Da, 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 da. I'm a little sad, though. I really liked his books, and I feel like the X-Line is meandering a bit right now. And I'm like, why don't we just move on to what he had next? Like, the whole thing's like, we wanted to stay here. And I was like, I don't really want to stay here. I want to see the story that he had planned. Let me I, see it. I want to see what happens since they're staying here. I'm excited for that relaunch coming in January. I want to see what that looks like. But if it's like five more Logan Wolverine books, I'm like, okay, we should have just, just Mystique was right. We should have ended it here. Just burn the whole thing down. Yeah. It'll be interesting because there are books that I love. Like there's another X-Men book on my list. Mm -hmm. But also there are plenty of books that I'm very meh on that I used to like. I feel it too. And I wonder if part of it's just because at first all the books were like really playing into that Hickman story. But then as things go on and Hickman's story is like not as important anymore because he's like, you guys just want to play here. So just kind of play. And they're just like, OK. And then they start playing. They're like, not really sure what I need to do now. I'm just kind of filling time, having fun. But who knows? I, I think they'll go into this next year with a, another plan that doesn't just involve what Hickman wants to do. And I think that's going to be fascinating. So could be good, could be bad. Just excited word all right your next pick and my then, next pick yeah <laughs> i'm just gonna say robin number six the series has been very good so far this the tinian book coming out this week that i'm not mad at or the williamson book this week that i'm not mad at we're not going to talk about deathstroke anyway move on yours all right my next pick is going to be ice cream man number 26 if you like horror coming into spooky month there is no better horror anthology series than Ice Cream Man. And to bounce off that, if you like horror, also check out Something is Killing the Children number 20 because you should be reading the series. It's so much fun. Love it very, very much. Ooh, I think that came out last week, friend. Did it? Yeah. Well, this leagueofgeeks.com or whatever is lying to me. Bunch of punk holes. Which, now I'm curious. Yeah, 20 came out last week. It was good. Oh. Hey, oh. hey, blast from the past. It was a good issue, everybody. Well, if that's already come out, then I'm just going to say die number 20. Because there we go. it's the finale of the series. And if you haven't picked it up, what better time to pick it up than the finale? 
So yeah. and don't read anything before. Just read, don't read just anything this before. one. Just read this one. Yeah. But this is a, this is such a good series. Y'all need to check it out if you haven't already. All right. Next from me is Adventure Man number five. Nice. If you are a fan of pulpy action or just the work of the Dodsons or Matt Fraction in general, this book is phenomenal and is making its return for volume two. Nice. I'm going to go ahead and go with um, Darkhold Alpha number one. The Darkhold little um, event is starting, and that's also pretty spoopy. Got a chance to get a sneak peek of that, and I think a lot of people are going to want to check it out. So, Very spoopy, she says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Sword number eight. I nice. think... I think Al Ewing is doing the most interesting work at X-Men right now, along with Vita Ayala over on New Mutants. Mm -hmm. But S.W.O.R.D. is wonderful. And if you're sad that Guardians of the Galaxy just came to an end, surprisingly, um, go check out S.W.O.R.D. because it is equally good by the same author. Nice. And I believe this is my last one, but make sure you check out Harley Quinn number seven because... Um, Harley Quinn is one of the best DC series out right now. Stephanie Phillips is absolutely killing it. It's so much fun every month. So it's, it's really cool. All right. My last suggestion is amazing fantasy. Number three. I don't feel like anybody is checking this series out and it is so good. Uh, you have time displaced black widow, Captain America and Spider-Man all on a high fantasy Island. It rules. Just the covers alone are some of the most beautiful I've seen in a long time. It's so unique. I love it. They are. I love that book. It's so fun. Um, all right. Moving quickly from that. That was your 10 books you need to pick out this week. I wonder if there's anyone that actually picks up the 10 books we recommend. I if would like you, to know. Yeah. If you have picked up a book off our recommendation, let us know because it makes us happy. <laughs> all right. Dun, 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 dun. First question is from Matt Ballestero. Thoughts on Gabriel Summers currently? Oh, this is from Matt. Okay, cool. Gabriel, I wish that I had more thoughts, but he hasn't really been seen since those couple of issues where Hickman really let him off the chain for a second and hinted that there'd be something bigger for him. But then, of course, Hickman decided to leave, so I'm not really sure what he had planned for Gabriel. Unless I'm missing something, because I'm not following every exile at the time. I don't think he showed up in anything since the X-Men Empire stuff, but I could be wrong. He showed up for like five seconds in X-Corp to beat up some Nazis, but that book sucked, and so I don't really blame you for not reading it. I feel so bad. Everyone's hating on X-Corp, but I think Teeny Howard's really nice. (laughs) It's just so bad. My hot take about Teeny Howard is I think she would be a better editor than a writer. Really? Because X of Swords was so good. And she very much was in the editor role for that. And she's so good at, like, selling a story. Every story, she's like, this book is going to be about this. I'm like, this is going to be the greatest comic ever written. And then every time I read that comic, I'm like, Teeny, where is the story I was promised? And so I would love for her to just be like, hey, everyone, I think we should be writing about these things. And then people that can convey those feelings are the ones that get the job to write the books. Fair enough. All right. We have a Sard Borkin and a Sard Borkin follow-up email for everyone. Who has the best sword in comics in the following categories? Aesthetic. Is it a good-looking sword? Function. Does it set on fire? Does it shoot energy? Is it just really strong? Just how useful is this sword? 
wielder. Not just how good are they at swinging the sword, but how much do you like them as a character? Sword. What is the de facto best sword overall? For Anne specifically, does Aquaman have a sword? If yes, how does it shape up to the trident? If no, why? Important oh note. <laughs> we will be removing magic from the conversation because we all know she would dust everybody in all areas. Yeah, so that sucks. That was my answer, was the soul sword. I'm, I'm glad you were thinking it too. <laughs> they say, by, by best sword in the sword category, I want, I mean iconic and well-known, otherwise we'd be here all day. Oh. That's so. a lot. That feels like one of those essay questions you get at the end of like a midterm. That's <laughs> like, yes. oh, I need. You know what? I'm sorry. I'm not going to answer all those categories. I'm just going to talk about some cool swords. <laughs> talk about some cool swords. Um, I just keep thinking about the Twilight Sword from Marvel. It's like that's Surtur's sword, right? Yeah. yeah. Which I just read about in Walt Simonson's Thor. Yeah. And it's very cool. There we go. There's one. We named one sword. I um, think currently in Once and Future, both Excalibur, which has been wielded, the sword that King Arthur pulled from the stone, and now Lancelot with his swordsmanship in the most recent issue of Once and Future. If you like swords, read Once and Future. It rules. <laughs> um, speaking of swords, and they specifically asked if Aquaman has used one, and yes, kind of. There was a version of Aquaman that was around for a series called Aquaman Sword of Atlantis, except it wasn't really Arthur Curry. It was Arthur Joseph Curry. And don't ask. I haven't read the whole thing, so I can't explain all of it. But it's basically a person with Arthur's same name and his memories and stuff like that living out his life. And I don't know why it happened. Normally, I'm a really big Kurt Music fan. But I've only read the first issue of that series, and I can't tell you, like, I, I want to go on. It's one of the ones that DC is actively adding to their digital library right now. I cannot tell you what the mindset there was. Like, we need someone different than Arthur Curry, but also exactly the same as Arthur Curry in every single way. Except he has a sword. It, it never made any sense to me, and I think it's why it's taken so long for me to pick it up. Funny enough, though, those were some of the first comics I ever bought because I was buying back issues, and I just liked the cool covers. I thought they were, I thought they were the real Aquaman, and I'm like, I like these. I'll take these. And I got home, and I found out, oh, that's not actually him. Word. The joys of Word. starting comics. <laughs> yeah, starting comics is a trip. All right. Um, Junie Mauricio asks. Hey, Comics Collective peeps. First, I wanted to say how much I love the podcast. Your show has been one of my favorite podcasts to listen to every week. You are all awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Now to my question, which is related to your read from last week, actually. Do you all think that Apollo could sustain his own maxi series and be in a protagonist role so his character could be fleshed out beyond just his relationship with Midnighter? Apollo and Midnighter are characters that mean a lot to me, but Apollo especially, and I always kind of felt that of the two, he is kind of ignored and only explored through his relationship with Midnighter. I think no. there's a ton of potential for Andrew's character. I'd love to see a really good expanse to him further, so I'd love to hear your take on it. I was going to say, you know, there's the, the questions like, could this character work in this role? And I think the answer is always, yes, they could. You just need the right team behind it. Any, I think... Any character can work if you want them to work. You just need a writer who knows what they're doing with them and to make something interesting. I think that's the reason why, like, a Jimmy Olsen series was one of the most fascinating comics I've read all year. 
I think that's why there's so many like C-list, D-list characters that I just want to see break out. Because there's always potential there. It just takes, one, the opportunity to get into the spotlight, and two, the right team, once they're in the spotlight, to make them, you know, sing, to make them soar. Because you'll have characters that just, they don't work until a certain writer or a certain artist gets a hold of them. It just depends on that team. And I think that the right team exists for every character. I don't think there's a character you can't not make work. Especially in comics where you can just kind of change around whatever you want and tell whatever type of tone story you want to tell. I think there's no limits to what you can do. So I think absolutely an Apollo story could work. I agree. I would like to see it. Um, with the original Authority series is very much a critique of modern Western imperialism yeah. and the role that superheroes play in that structure. And I think someone that is very well disposed to analyzing that in a very fun way would be Mark Russell. I would love to see a Mark Russell Apollo on go mini or maxi series. That would be awesome. Yes. What can I say? I've got awesome taste. Um, <laughs> uh, and finally, the question from Glenn Mechette this week is mm-hmm. I still don't know what a saga is. I do, however, know about the clone saga. When is that episode? Never, Glenn. Never. Never. <laughs> wow, even you said never. I love that. I should probably read it out of spite now. Yeah, yeah, for real. You're like, hmm. Actually, now that he doesn't like it, I do like it. All I can tell you is I read the little snippet, the like two page spread about the Clone Saga in my handy dandy Spider Man The Ultimate Vision Guide that I've had since I was like 10 years old. And I know I want nothing to do with it. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything I hear about that story makes me want to read it less. So. <laughs> Toodles. I'm not going to read it, Glenn. You it can't make like- me. Early 90s, early 90s nonsense, and I'm okay without it. The 90s were a very fertile time for a little place called Vertigo Comics, and everything else suffered. Speaking of which, very excited to see you start Sandman on Friday. I am. It's too bad for the rest of you, though, because then I retire from comics. The yeah. second I'm done with Sandman, I'm done. It's all over. Goodbye. Goodbye, Moon Man. Ugh. It'll be it'll be nice to walk away from this hobby, you know? It's brought me yeah. a lot of joy through the years, and I just think that it's it's time to end it. You'll have to send me a postcard, because I imagine it's just, like, really peaceful, so... Yeah, yeah from wherever I am. My wallet is overflowing. Meanwhile, I have so I'm, much free time. I'm still over here freaking out about Deathstroke, Inc. You're just still crying about Black Canary, and I'm like, I've never even heard of any of these characters anymore. You're like, I don't even like birds. <laughs> I don't what I bird watch now. There are no black canaries, you fool. Well, read a book. <laughs> read a real book with words. I've been doing that lately and it's horrifying. Right? Terrifying. <sighs> I picked up Ocean at the end of the lane. Ooh. So it will be read. It will be read. Because I'm I'm the only member of the comics collective that happily takes recommendations from the other ones. Everyone else hey, just gives me sass. That is, that's lies. That yes. is truth. <laughs> okay, what was the last thing you recommended me read? Saga. Okay, so what was the last thing before that? <laughs> <laughs> um, ooh, I know, on a sunbeam. How's that going? Anyway, this has been the Comic Collective. <laughs> thanks for thanks for joining us today. I don't have the end script in front of me. I'm That's not sure. Okay. You read it. Um, 
if you would like to follow us over on twitter.com, we are at CMX Collective. Or you can find each of us at don't follow me on Twitter. Don't encourage me. <laughs> you I want to leave at, that website. You can find him at Dallas underscore comics. You can find me at Ann Comics. And you can find Lexi at Lexi Taylor underscore one, two, three. You see me on Twitter cyberbully me. Make it an uninhabitable place oh, so you, I can you don't leave. You have to tell us. We'll just do it. Oh, <laughs> uh, if you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review, and we will read it off on the show. I'm going to click on it right now. Oh, great radio here. We do not have a new po- – we don't have a new review since I left our last review because it's the kind of person I am. I'll get on there and I'll leave a review eventually. I promise. Someday. Someday. It's okay. It took me like a year and a half to do it myself. So (laughs) I have time. And finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. And we will try to answer all your sword related questions. All your sword related questions. Next week, we will be discussing Through the Woods with matt draper and then a little exclusive for you actual listeners this won't come out on twitter for a minute we have (laughs) kelly thompson coming to the show (laughs) we get to talk with her all about captain marvel spider-man beyond and whatever we want she's coming to the show it's going to be so fun i love how you say it's not coming out on twitter like this is gonna be the first thing i tweet when i wake up tomorrow now that i know (laughs) like hey guess what guess what guess what everybody we did it i slid into an email and the person responded very promptly and i'm very excited we are very excited yes we are um (laughs) yeah it's gonna be good it's gonna be good thank you everybody so much and we will hit see you next week bye bye Thank you.